In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts is no standalone work. It is simply volume 2 of Luke's writings, which outlined the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ in volume 1, which was the gospel according to Luke, and now in volume 2, he will outline the continual heavenly ministry of Jesus Christ through his church by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. But before we examine more on that, I want to first talk about this author, my favorite doctor and historian, Dr. Luke. Luke is the first church historian, and but there's so much more about this great man of God that we need to examine. There's not a ton written about this doctor. He was most likely a Gentile physician who was converted by Paul's ministry in Troas. And from that point forward, he served alongside Paul as a missionary companion. And we can actually see when that happened in this book of Acts, because beginning in Acts 16, the pronouns in the book turn from they and other third-person pronouns to we. And you can see this in transition in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. And they, Paul and Silas and Timothy, that's who they are there, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, that attempt, they attempted to go to, into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So you can clearly see that transition from they to we right after Paul and Timothy and Silas's visit to Troas. So Luke likely served them, he served on this mission team as probably their, their team doctor. Uh, throughout the rest of Paul's life, he would remain uh, in such a position as a missionary companion. But though there is not much written about Luke, the few things that we do have written about him sends chills up my spine regarding the heart of this doctor. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul calls him the beloved physician. Here, Paul, or excuse me, here Luke was clearly a man who so many loved, he surely had a heart to care for others, probably a heart of compassion and desire to see others cared for and taken care of. I could picture those times where Paul had been flogged and beaten with rods. 
And it is very likely that afterwards Luke, carefully tending those wounds of his friend and mentor, probably did so through tears of what his mentor was facing, and yet also emboldened and encouraged by his mentor's steadfastness to continue forward with the mission in spite of the things he was suffering. Yet, there is one line regarding Luke in the Bible that is one of the most stunning and magnificent and heart-gripping statements about any person. Paul, in his final letter written of 2 Timothy, in his final imprisonment in Rome, likely months or possibly even days before he was killed by Nero, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.11, Luke alone is with me. Beloved, Paul suffered a lot during his ministry. But from Troas forward, Luke was by his side. Through flogging, through imprisonment, through shipwreck, Luke was there. And this is the one who writes to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. A faithful, friendly, loyal doctor turned missionary. And should we be surprised that this very little-known physician, this unglamorized disciple, would be given the gift by God to write more of the New Testament than any other writer, including Paul? Yes, Paul wrote 13 letters, but when you add up the pages, Luke's gospel and the book of Acts surpass all of those 13 letters. And though these two books, the books of his gospel and the book of Acts, combined make up more than over a third of the New Testament. Beloved, God rewards the unglorified, steadfast perseverance of his people. That unglamorized, steadfast, continual, everyday living faithfully for him and for the sake of others. And in all of that perseverance and time with Paul and other disciples, Luke was able to write these two very important works for us. And the beginning of each of those two volumes gives us the purpose that Luke has in writing them. In Luke chapter 1, verses 3-4, through four, Luke reveals his immediate purpose in writing was to help a man named Theophilus have certainty in the truth about what Christ did and taught. Now, Theophilus, we're not exactly sure who he was, but he was probably some kind of Roman official. And the reason that we can say that is because the only other time we read in Luke or anywhere else within the New Testament of the title most excellent given being given to someone is when Luke uses them for the two Roman officials Felix and Festus who were the governors of Judea so it's very likely that Theophilus is a convert who is likely also a higher or upper Roman official and he writes there to basically say it seemed good to me also, having followed all the things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, 
that you may be certain of the truth concerning things, the things of which you have been informed. Luke chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. So that's what part one of the gospel according to Luke is all about. And in the opening of Acts, Luke continues to that same purpose. But now in part two, which is Acts, he shows how Christ still continues to do and teach through his church by the Spirit. And we see this in the very opening verse of Acts. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that be Jesus began, began to do and teach. In other words, Theophilus, you may be certain that Jesus is who he says he was and has done what he says he did because his ministry here on earth and because of his continual ministry in heaven. And so the purpose of Luke writing Acts is to show both Theophilus and every one of us today that Christ has fulfilled and is fulfilling every single Old Testament prophecy regarding him and that we may be absolutely assured that he is our Lord and Savior, not only because of his earthly ministry, which was his sin-defeating death on the cross, his death-defeating resurrection, and the recognition of his perfect completion of that earthly work, signified by his ascension and sitting at the right hand of the Father. So not only because of that earthly work, the gospel, but also because this sin-defeating, death-destroying, resurrected, and ascended Savior is still ruling reigning, and very much working in this world today. And this book of Acts that we are beginning our journey through, Luke says, is the evidence of that truth. And beloved, I want you to know that we sitting here almost 2,000 years later are evidence that Christ is still working through the ministry of his church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. As one person noted, Acts ends with a comma, and we belong to the 29th chapter, which will end when Christ returns to finally and fully consummate his kingdom once and for all. And so I want to show you how Luke fleshes that idea out in a much more detailed way. Now, all the way up to verse 11, Luke is giving us a prologue, but I want to just focus on the first five verses. In these first five verses, Luke gives us a review of what happened in the first volume, a preview of what is to come in this volume, and I want to show you how those two work together in order to give us an overview of the entire book. So we're going to see a review, a preview, and an overview. So first, let's look at the review. We see this in verses 1 through 3. And the first book, O Theophilus, dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now Luke here 
is basically just giving us the cliff note version of the synopsis of the gospel account. But he hits the significant aspects of the earthly ministry of Christ. And there are four specific aspects of which Luke draws our attention to. The first is in verse 1, and that is Christ's life and teaching. I love when Luke says, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach because it shows that he was so much more than just a teacher. Beloved, Christ not only had to die for sinners and teach sinners, he had to live for us. And that's what Luke's gospel and the first volume of his writing is all about. Christ came to do for his sheep and teach them what he was doing for them. So Christ came to do for us and to teach us what he was doing for us. In verse 2, Luke rushes right to the other bookend of the gospel, which refers to the ascension. So basically, right at the verse 1 and verse 2, he's kind of bookending Christ's incarnation, life, and ministry, and his ascension. So right there, Luke is giving the bookends first. And the ascension is where Luke ends the gospel account. Luke chapter 24, that's right where he ends. And the reason why I think he briefly touches on it here, he just kind of throws it, when he was taken up, that's all he gives us here, is because all of this book, specifically the basically the verses 6 to 11, which we'll look at a little bit more in detail next week, uh, we'll begin looking at next week, those verses are all on the ascension. So he's only touching on it there because he's going to give us much more insight into the ascension in the weeks to come. But the ascension is so vital because it places Christ in his place of authority at the right hand of the Father. So the reason why the ascension is so vital is because not only does the ascension signify the fact that the Father has accepted the earthly work of Christ on behalf of sinners. But also, it shows that Christ has now been put into his place of authority at the right hand of the Father, where now he serves as the ruling, reigning agent of heaven at the will of the Father. And so this is an incredible reality that the ascension is not Christ going to rest, but Christ going to work. And that is an essential, or that Christ is not going to rest, Christ is ascending to rule. And that is a very important thing that so often gets missed in that very little preached, unfortunately, aspect of the ascension of Christ. And there's so much more to say on that throughout the book of Acts. So I'm going to just kind of leave it there with that. Luke, after giving us the bookends, then gives us three other major details of Christ's earthly ministry in between those two bookends, his incarnation, life teaching, and his ascension. The first we see in verse 2, and it is the commissioning of the apostles. Now, when Luke says that he gave them command through the Holy Spirit, it might simply mean that Jesus prompted by the Holy Spirit to give the Great Commission to preach and make disciples. So in other words, Jesus was simply moved upon by the Holy Spirit 
that these were the ones he needed to set aside and that was the why he commissioned them and so that really the holy spirit's aspect and that commissioning of the apostles is simply there to open to awaken christ to the reality that these are the ones that he had been given to serve as disciples but i i i i i think luke means more there i don't think i don't think that's exactly what he's meaning i think that may be part of it but it's not the full thing i think what luke means here for this to have relevance for the way the apostles themselves received the command, not just the way Jesus came to do it. In other words, the Holy Spirit was not only the means by which Christ provides the command, the commission, but it is the means by which the apostles received the commission to do it. And I so started to look around to where is a picture of this? Is there any picture of this commissioning? where the Holy Spirit is put in light. It is brought to the forefront in the commissioning of the apostles. And the what I found, and probably only a page over, you could probably just turn to the left one page or so, and you could find this. But in John chapter 20, verse 21 through 22, there is one description of a commission that Jesus gave the apostles after his resurrection. And, and I want you to notice the role of the Holy Spirit here. John chapter 20, verse 21 to 22. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now there, there's the commissioning. That's the commission. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit spirit now some people say that this is a kind of just acted out parable that in other words what christ is doing there and as breathing on them and saying receive the holy spirit is that i here's a picture of what's going to happen at pentecost so they're actually so when he says receive the holy spirit nothing happens they don't receive the holy spirit but they will eventually. And the breath on it was simply symbolic of what was going to come. This is a parable, not an actual efficacious thing that Christ does there. But the more I think about the freedom and the variety of the work of the Holy Spirit, the less I feel constrained to see this as a parable of something to come. Some people say, well, he can't have come. He couldn't have done anything. He couldn't have served. He couldn't minister. Because he couldn't come till Pentecost. I don't see why that's the case. John the Baptist was said to have be filled with the Holy Spirit from the very time that he was in his mother's womb. So why could not they have received the Holy Spirit? Why could they have not been ministered to by the Holy Spirit? I don't see why there is any necessarily necessary correlation that says that the the Spirit has to come in this kind of package uh, mentality. Why can why can we not simply say that when Jesus breathed on them and said, "Receive the Holy Spirit." There was a real ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles. 
for that moment and for that situation and for the understanding and appropriation and processing of that commission. Because remember their situation in that story in John 20. They are locked in a room for fear of facing the same fate as their master had days earlier, a few days earlier. And to, and to overcome their fear, Jesus breathes upon them and mediates the comforting Holy Spirit to minister to them and encourage them in that moment as a foretaste to what was going to what was going to be coming in all of its fullness and just a little ways off we are going to be told and then Luke gives us a review in these verses of all of the resurrection also beloved before you can ever move forward in the Christian faith you must have a certainty of this grand truth that Christ is risen alive forevermore without the resurrection there is no Christianity without the resurrection we are of all people to be pitied and without hope without the resurrection there is not only no continual work of Christ but the first work of Christ is null and void but beloved he is alive and Luke puts that right at the beginning because everything else in our faith is built on that truth. Truth. It was no mass delusion, no traumatic psychosis, no wild dream. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was a real, historical, eyewitness, verified account. And the book of Acts will beat you down with this great truth. Acts 1.22, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Acts 2.32, we are all witnesses of the fact. Acts 3.15, we are witnesses of this. Acts 4.33, the apostle continued to testify to the resurrection. Acts 5.32, we are witnesses of these things. Acts 10.39-41, we are witnesses. He has seen by witnesses. Acts 13.31, he was seen and they are now his witnesses beloved the savior is risen he is alive and he reigns as we speak and yet there is one more aspect that luke gives us a review to luke reviews the reality of what christ inaugurated when he came in his earthly ministry and that is the kingdom of god the apostles had been so slow of heart to understand and believe during the ministry of Jesus on earth, and now they needed a crash course in post-resurrection kingdom theology. What were the promises of the Old Testament really all about? In what sense had the kingdom really come in the ministry of Jesus? How would the kingdom show itself now in the life and the ministry of the church? What was an inaugurated yet not consummated kingdom going to look like for Christ's followers? These were all of the questions that needed to be answered and needed to be addressed. And Jesus instructed them on these matters we see here in the beginning of Acts after his resurrection. And we'll see next week one of the most important teachings 
he would give them about the nature of his inaugurated kingdom and how that kingdom would be advanced through the proclamation of the gospel. And so Luke reviews the gospel in these first three verses by reminding us of the work and teaching of Christ, the commissioning of the apostles, his death and resurrection, and his, te his teaching on the kingdom of God, and his ascension. Now, the purpose, now the purpose of reviewing the information regarding Christ's earthly ministry is not merely a rhetorical device used by Luke to show you that this book is to be connected to his gospel. But it is also to call our attention to the grand reality that the identity and the work of the church is directly rooted in and connected to the identity and work of its head, Jesus Christ. So even though the point of Acts will be to show the continual work of Christ, Luke wants to ensure that we recognize that Christ's continual work is built upon and made possible by his already completed work. His virgin birth, perfect fulfillment of the law, fulfillment of all the prophecies necessary during his earthly life. He was sinless in every way. He was the suffering servant who dies in the place of his sinful sheep. He was resurrected three days later, revealing himself to over 500 witnesses. He was commissioning his disciples by the Holy Spirit and then ascending to the Father, signifying the Father's full acceptings of his completed ministry on earth so that everyone who confesses in Christ's name and believes upon him will be saved. That's the gospel. And everything Christ continues to do today is built upon those final, once and for all, established realities. And so, even though we're saying Christ is continuing to work, His ministry continues today, we can in no way ever not stress the finality of his work on earth. And the reason why that is, the beginning of Acts, is because without Jesus' incarnation and earthly ministry, there is no church, there are no disciples, there is no kingdom, there's none of that. But because of, of his earthly ministry, because he finished the work he came to do, there is all of that. And what you will see time and time and time and time again throughout this book is that the gospel message of what Christ has done and completed during his earthly ministry is the message that Christ uses in his continual ministry to build his church, strengthen his church, and expand his church. And so Luke's review is to remind Theophilus and every other reader the reason you can experience and be assured of the continual work of Christ today is because of the work that Christ has perfectly and once and for all already completed.
Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12 says, When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he set down the right hand of God. Beloved, when Jesus cried, it is finished. The debt was paid, the sins were covered, the wrath was removed, and Satan was mortally wounded. It was finished. And because that work was finished, Christ's new work as risen, ascended, ruling Lord could now begin. And that points us forward to a preview. So that was the review. Now let's look at the preview. We see the preview in verses 4 through 5. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In verses 4 through 5, Luke uses a review in order to give us a preview as to how Christ intends on continuing his doing and teaching as the risen Lord. <clears throat> in these verses, Luke tells us that the risen Savior commanded his disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father, which was revealed through the ministry of John the Baptist and refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we find this promise, we find this teaching of John going back to Luke chapter 3, verse 15 through 16. It says, As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their minds concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John's baptism was a baptism of preparation, a baptism of repentance and cleansing for the coming of God. That's what he was preparing people for. The baptism of repentance and preparation that John was giving was a baptism preparing people for the coming of God, which was revealed through the incarnation of Christ and the beginning ministry of, of, of Jesus. So now it's important to see, however, that that was not the first time this promise was given. This was no new plan of God. God, the idea of Pentecost and the baptism of the church was not some new plan that God had ushered in because of a plan that had failed before. It wasn't, well, like he came with plan A, plan A failed, so now he had to turn to plan B. That was not the case. The outpouring and baptism of the Holy Spirit was a promise of the Father from the beginning throughout the Old Testament. And we can see these things in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, which will be quoted by Peter at Pentecost. And we'll look at much detail of that at that time. And also Isaiah 32 and Isaiah 44. All of these promises of the poured out spirit in the Old Testament context signified that the Messiah had come and a new era under his rule had begun. So all when you look at all of those collectively, those Old Testament promises 
of a poured out spirit, what you see is, is that it reveals the era of the Messiah and that the era of his rule had begun. We see this Isaiah 32, 15 through 16. Until the spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and the righteousness abide in the fruitful field. Again in Isaiah 44, 3, For I will pour water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. So this reminder of the promise of an outpouring of the spirit serves as a preview of not only the means by which the church will be empowered to serve as instruments for the work of Christ, but also as a preview to the fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament. This outpoured spirit will not only serve as an indwelling gift to believers, as the empowering agent of their ministries, as the comforting host that encourages and emboldens them, not only as the seal on their souls declaring that they will have eternal life, but it will serve as a guaranteed picture that God is actively fulfilling every one of His promises. That's what the pouring out of the Spirit would signify for every Jew there at Pentecost. God is fulfilling his promises of restoration. And Luke here is previewing so much. He's previewing the fact that this pouring out will happen in the prophetically fulfilled place of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the restoration must begin. And that's exactly what happens at the day of Pentecost with the poured out spirit with the gathering of people from all Jews from all the nations out of the exile out of the diaspora into the singular place of the temple where the spirit is there poured out upon them bringing many a multitude of them to salvation so Christ calls his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait not because it's just what he wants them to do not just because all oh, that seems like a, a feasible place to go but because it is there that God is going to begin his period of restoration that Christ is going to begin restoring his kingdom by fulfilling the promises of pouring out his spirit on his people in Jerusalem and Luke here is previewing all of that and from Jerusalem outward the risen Christ will advance his kingdom to the ends of the earth through the ministry of his body, the church, by the empowerment of the newly poured out spirit. And this new kingdom, which will extend over all of the earth, including people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from Jerusalem outward, is what constitutes the new Jerusalem of Christ. That is a preview of what's to come next week. We'll discuss that more next week.
and what's to come up so many times throughout this book. That is the preview that we are getting there in verses 4 through 5 of all that is going to come in this book ahead. And finally, I want us to see an overview. We've seen a review. We've seen a preview. I want to see, show you now how those two things work together to serve to give us an overview of what the book is all about. Luke says that his gospel account was only what Christ began to do and teach. Think of everything Christ did in his earthly ministry. Think of everything he endured and did for the sake of his people. And realize that was just the beginning. It was just the beginning of his perfect work. Beloved, the book of Acts is all about the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. God the Son, Jesus Christ, still works accomplishing the eternal will of God the Father through his body, the church, by the power of God the Spirit. It's a very triune work, but Christ is the one who designates the work and is actively the one who mediates the Spirit. He is still at work, and he works through us, church, advancing his kingdom through our gospel proclamation. I love how Paul shows this concept in Romans 15, 17-19, talking about his own ministry. He says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So what Paul is saying is whatever I, Paul, have accomplished for the kingdom, it was Jesus' doing and teaching, not my own. Note the same pair of words, Christ worked through me by word and deed, just the way we see Luke begin Acts saying, all that Christ began to do and teach. Beloved, Christ is still doing and teaching. He's doing it through his church by the Spirit. He is alive and Christ is building his church today. That's what the book of Acts is about. He is building his church and advancing his kingdom. That's why it is so relevant for us today. That's why this book still matters. That's why we need to preach verse by verse through this book. Because Christ is alive. He will always be alive. And he is still speaking and working through us. 
He's building his church. And wherever people come under the authority of his name and receive his forgiveness for sins and trust his power, there you can know Christ was at work. Period. Wherever you see people being saved, wherever you see people being drawn to God and moved to worship, there you can know Christ was at work. And that is what we long to see happen more and more in this city throughout this year and among all the unreached peoples of this world as we go about in our mission as a church as, li as a life on mission. We can do nothing apart from Jesus, church. Not a single person saved, sanctified, changed, or transformed. But with him, all things are possible. Wherever the gospel is preached, Jesus is preaching. Whenever the word is preached, you are listening to Jesus. He is the word of God. And so where the word of God is preached, Christ is preaching. Beloved, he has not taken a place of rest. He is on the throne, ruling and reigning, and his ministry and his kingdom will never end never never end and because of that alone we have hope and that is what the book of Acts is all about Christ continual ministry and I say to you today church we must be about our risen Lord's business as living on mission as fishers of men and this book of Acts will show us how to do that. And for you who have yet to surrender to this sin-defeating, death-conquering, devil-destroying, risen and ascended Christ, I say to you, repent and believe upon Him and be met with perfect salvation and be filled with the Spirit that will change you, transform you, and empower you to be an instrument to build a kingdom which will last for all eternity. And to all you who are here today, I say to you, take heart. In all of the darkness and chaos that this year will surely bring, I want you to know this grand truth. Luke wants you to know this grand truth in writing this book. Our beloved Savior risen ruling king christ jesus is still working he is still ruling and he is still reigning no matter who sits in a senate seat or an oval office we know who sits on the throne of heaven and nothing will stop him from accomplishing his will and that is what the book of acts and that is what the book of Acts is all about. And that is what we, church, will be all about. Serving our risen Savior with lives on mission, advancing His kingdom through gospel proclamation.